Pets need flea and tick protection. And with Tevra Pet, you have everything you need. With Tevra Pet, active spot two for cats. Online at tevrapet.com. Tevra Pet, where there's always free shipping on flea and tick protection. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we are speaking with Sheila Massey. Prior to taking in a stray kitten, Sadie, who changed her life, Sheila had her own business conducting fraud audits of major corporations in the U.S. and overseas. In 2008, after retirement, Sheila began doing TNR in an ethnically diverse New York neighborhood. Stray cats roamed a state prison, a large evangelical church, a landmark mansion, and Brown's a community garden, and a parking garage in order to convince these organizations to let her TNR the cats and set up a managed colony on their properties. Sheila promoted the idea of working cats, which would hunt down and rid their properties of rats. In 2019, using the same working cat principle, Sheila founded Hard Hat Cats in order to rescue unadoptable feral cats from the New York City Animal Shelter. Hard Hat Cats places working feral cats with employers seeking non-toxic rodent control. The cats have adapted remarkably well to various work environments, such as breweries, distilleries, parks, gardens, and hotels. Hard hat cats live independent lives, doing what they do best, ignoring people and deterring rodents. Employers adopt and care for the cats and continually sing their praises. Sheila, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. So Sheila was a guest on the Community Cats podcast way back in 2016 and the first year that we started. So it's been been a while. So I'm so thrilled to have you back. It's just fantastic. But uh, before we get started jumping in and learning more about hard hat cats, just if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, you know, why do you get passionate about cats? Well, as you said in the introduction, it was one little stray black kitten, Sadie. Uh, somebody asked me to take in this kitten. And of course, I said, no way. I don't even like cats. I'm a dog person. But they convinced me to take Sadie in. And I tell you, that was the smartest, funniest cat. So just like a lot of people, you fall in love with one cat, and then it really extends to the species. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And but she was a cat that you took in and brought in and, and became your cat, or was she a cat outside that you TNR'd? Well, first of all, Sadie was a he, but I didn't know enough about cats until I went to a vet who said, Didn't you see these two little testicles? Well, really, I just was not a cat person. I wasn't even sure how to pet Sadie. I thought, ooh, do, do you pet them? What do you do? You know. So um I had named the cat Sadie, and then the vet said it was a male, but Sadie only ever answered to Sadie. And that was back in 1996. 
And I had no intention, never heard of TNR. (laughs) I didn't even think I wanted this cat, but I did fall in love. And then then I fell in love with the species and the rest is history. You know, that that uh, it's a calling. That's great. That's great. I forgive you. I grew up with a cat named Duncan, who was a she. But Duncan was named Duncan, thinking Duncan was a he. So <laughs> I think we all had these moments. Exactly. And they know their names and they, and you can't shake them loose. Yeah. That Duncan lived to be 20 years old. You know, oh, great cat. Fabulous. I grew up with Duncan. And uh, she taught me a lot about understanding a cat's behavior, for sure. As a, as a young, young child, I learned a lot from her about, about cats. Well, tell me a little bit about your uh, experience with TNR. How did you get introduced to it? You know, you were in New York City. Tell me about how you got exposed and your experiences there. Well, I was living in Upper Manhattan, and it was a, a working class neighborhood. And there were these mama cats that were churning out kittens all the time. And a friend of mine who was who really was a cat sitter and cat rescuer, she kind of twisted my arm into getting into TNR. And this was back in 2008. And at that point, I was the only person in my neighborhood that had taken this on. Right. And as you read in the introduction, the cat, the cats had kind of colonized in these very unusual locations that were all these big gated organizations <laughs> like a state prison and a large evangelical church and a mansion that was a landmark with grounds and stuff. So, um, you know, these were organizations that were not just waiting for me to come along and say, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's put a, a managed cat colony on your site. Um, so they were very resistant at the beginning, and it was my job to try to convince them that having a managed cat colony was a good idea. And um, right from the beginning, my mantra kind of became, in order to sell these people on the idea, that TNR benefits people. I never talked about, oh, I love cats. This is great for the cats. It's humane for the cats. I only talked about the people benefits. And I know that your audience knows all the benefits, like we stop breeding and we vaccinate the cats. That's very important to some people, the vaccination aspect. But the main selling point was rat deterrence because New York City uh, back in 2008 and still today, they have a pervasive rat problem. I mean, it's in all the neighborhoods. It's just a terrible problem. So that was a big selling point that if you take on a TNR managed, a managed TNR colony where I get to come in and TNR the cats and we're going to set up shelters and feed them every day, then you're not going to have rats. And that's exactly the way it worked. Uh, It was very effective. All of these organizations were rat-free. There were other areas in the neighborhood where I did TNR. That was rat-free. So the whole neighborhood was really thrilled because, you know, they had 24-7 rat control. So this whole idea of working cats, even though back in 2008, I don't even think I 
I knew that phrase working cats. I just, I just saw how, you know, the presence of cats is really beneficial to humans. And that especially holds true in an urban setting where you have a lot of rats. So that's when I got very interested in the, in the working cats concept was starting with TNR and it went from there. Yeah. And then, you know, this is something that has really uh, challenged me since 1994 when I got involved in doing TNR and then there's the, the whole mindset around how cats need to be indoor only and understanding we have a TNR world and we have this like adoption indoor only world. When I was wearing, you know, wearing my adoption counselor's hat, am I supposed to require that all the cats be adopted into an indoor only household? And I, I couldn't say that because there are certain environments where placement for an indoor outdoor cat or for a working cat is good and returning back to the colony is good. Then there are certain situations where an indoor only environment, you know, 30th floor of a high rise apartment building, you know, there's the, there's, there's these different scenarios where indoor only works, but then there are other scenarios where indoor outdoor or outdoor only can work. And I felt that we are often conflicted when we feel it has to be all on one or, you know, all on the other. And I know, I think in England, they actually look for homes that are more indoor outdoor and they feel that cats are healthier and do better. And it's harder to get a cat as an indoor only cat because they feel that the cats need that outdoor option. So culturally there's, there's different opinions. So when you were working with the, with the folks and talking about having working cats placing working cats there. And let, let, we'll talk about the specifics of the program, but do you get any concerns from the idea that, oh, well, aren't all of our cats meant to be indoor only cats? Well, I got that more from other rescuers, to tell you the truth. There were other rescuers that, that felt that cats all have to be on somebody's sofa. But as I was doing TNR and trapping a cat, and you know, when a cat's in a trap and then you're kind of waiting for the clinic appointment and afterwards during recovery, the cat kind of gives you a lot of signals about what it wants. So I learned to let the cat tell me. There were cats that, you know, you know, rubbing up against the bars. Obviously, you know, that cat is attuned to people and wanted to be pet and cuddled. There were other cats that I trapped that I knew had been dumped house cats that were terrified to be outdoors. So I wouldn't release them back out. But then there were other cats that that was clear. They were saying, look, lady, just let me alone. <laughs> let me back outside. And for me, the deciding factor was always, do I have a safe colony location? Well, nothing safer than a state prison, I can tell you the mansion and its grounds, the community garden. You really have to make sure these are safe locations. But it was obvious to me that certain cats thrived outdoors. They loved to be outdoors. They loved other cats. They they would not have thrived indoors at all. So if you don't have a safe location, now that's a problem. But if you do have a safe location and you see the cats doing well, then I just let the cat tell me. 
So interesting question then. This is what happened in Newburyport after we TNR'd almost 300 cats or we took kittens off. So it was like 200 cats stayed on the Newburyport waterfront. And then 2008 came and over 20 years, the cats had either died out or had we had the friendlier ones we'd pulled in and adopted out. But pretty much the colonies pretty much aged out. We had 14 feeding stations. So our feeding, our working cats, our working cat population was gone, right? You know, the mayor calls me up one day and says, I hear you have a barn relocation program. I hope you're not taking the cats off the waterfront because we need them to do, take care of the rodents. You can't remove them for your barn relocation program. And I said, don't worry. We have plenty of other cats that are going, being relocated safely into, into barns. Did you run into that situation with any of the colonies that you did TNR? And is that what maybe has fed into hard hat cats or how did you get started with hard hat cats? Well, to answer your question, it's exactly what you said. The program was so effective that these organizations, even for example, the prison, after a while, after a few months, they fed back to me that they had no rats at all. You know, they had maintenance people who were in charge of that kind of sanitation and rat control extermination. Well, they got rid of their exterminators. This this held true for the other colonies as well. There's no way we could take those cats away now because they know they're going to be saddled with extermination costs. And the organizations, you know, they saw how effective it was. They were so thrilled to have the rat control uh, that they took over feeding and taking care of the cats. I mean, they're correction, they're correction officers that take care of the cats now. So, uh, yeah, it was a big success. And there's nothing like empirical evidence. <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. I just I think it's wonderful and and it's great. And you know, those were existing colonies. Did you ever relocate into those colonies? You've just they're still stabilized. Well, actually, the prison took a couple of more cats because um, their colony over time they had gotten down to like two or three cats. And some of the cats had gotten adopted. They'd gotten so friendly. People, you know, at the prison, correction officer had taken the cats, adopted them. So, yeah, they were low on cats. So the prison did take did take two more. The other locations, it really is a question of cats relocating themselves. I, I haven't done active relocation. Sometimes cats wander in and the uh the resident cats don't like them and they're turf oriented and they chase them off. But sometimes they do let the newcomers in. And of course, that's that's the new guy to TNR. So tell me a bit about hard hat cats specifically. You know, why did you start it? And, you know, the details around the forming of this organization. Well, after, after those experiences with the TNR cat colonies. I was just very interested in working cats, the whole concept. So I was reading up on it. And of course, they're famous working cat locations like Disneyland, which has 200 feral cats. Same protocol we have. They're ferals, they're spayed, neutered, sheltered, fed every day. There's the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. They have working cats. to keep rats away from their archival materials. And then there were a couple of working cat programs in the States like Treehouse 
Humane Society in Chicago. That really caught my eye because they had a cats at work program and people were lining up to adopt these cats. And one of the adopters was Empirical Brewing, Empirical Brewing in Chicago. And that caught my eye because there were so many little craft breweries springing up in Brooklyn. So I called Empirical Brewing and I talked to them about their cats and I read up about it. And then in 2019, I I started Hard Hat Cats. And the main goal of it was to look for employment opportunities for working cats. That was the the main focus, like like cats at work uh, uh, concept. So um, 2019, I started it. And I had two goals in mind, and they're still the same two goals, basically. Uh, The first goal was to uh, rescue feral cats from the New York City Animal Shelter. I work exclusively with the City Animal Shelter. And then the second goal was to start getting rid of poison, rat poison, in our environment. Um, That was the second goal. So... I started working with ACC, is Animal Care Centers of New York. That's our city animal shelter system called ACC. And ACC has a standard procedure that if a feral cat comes in and that feral cat has an identifiable colony, a viable colony that it can go back to, then ACC returns to field. That's the standard procedure. But the problem is that sometimes feral cats come in and they don't have a colony to go back to. You know, maybe it's a vacant lot that got developed, or maybe it's a hoarding situation where you've got 40 cats and, well, they're feral. They were indoors, but they're feral. You have basement cats. They were in a basement their whole lives. No contact with people. And then the building gets demolished. So you've got you've got feral cats at ACC that don't have a lot of adoption opportunities. They're not lap cats. They don't show well. People don't adopt them. So uh, they're the ones that really need the adoption opportunities. And then in terms of the poison, again, this gets back to an urban environment, maybe New York City in particularly, property owners and even the Department of Health, they all end up resorting to rat poison. There's just not an effective program to get rid of all the rats. I don't know how many millions there are. So uh, there's a lot of poison being used all the time. And this, this not only contaminates the soil and the water, but it harms the wildlife. Because here you have these rats that have taken the bait And you've got this rat full of rat poison wandering around. And, of course, our raptors, our our birds of prey, they eat the rat and then they die. So there's there's a, a big hue and cry about trying to stop to use rodenticide, you know, rat poison, because it doesn't just kill rats. It's also killing the birds of prey. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you are at all involved with community cats in any way, shape or form, there always has to be a tab on your website about how to deal with rats, because I cannot tell you how many times I've gone in 
to speak with board of health officials. And before they ask me anything about cats, they say, how can we handle the rat situation? Really? Yeah. That's always their first question because they're like, if you know what you're doing with cats, how can we deal with the rats? (laughs) And I'm just like, wait, I'm the cat person, you know, hello. But it's interesting because I think that there is a huge need out there for solutions for handling the rat population situation in our urban areas. That's for sure. Definitely. I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. Are you going to put on a little hat here? I'm think of me as Stacy, the brewer. And and I'm looking, I'm looking for cats. How would they work with hard hat cats to get some cats for that, for my brewery? Well, the first thing I would, first of all, you'd probably approach me with an email and ask, you know, about the program because you've heard about it through word of mouth or something from other brewers. And um, I would ask you to fill out an adoption application. And this adoption application, it asks you about, you know, let's say you are a brewery, but you could also be a garden. You could be a park. You know, you could be an indoor space. You could be an outdoor space. So the first thing I do is on this application, I ask all about the size of your property. How big is the property? What's the layout? Where is it located? Are there main streets surrounding it? Is it gated? What about entry points, exit points, (laughs) open doors? You as a brewer, you would know that you probably have a huge big bay door and there, there are trucks going in all day long. They're either coming in to deliver materials like malt and barley and stuff, or they're leaving with your product. So you've got these big open doors, right? So I want to know about your open doors. I want to know about your windows. I want to know about your staffing on weekends. Uh, who's going to feed the cats? If it's a garden, I want to know, hey, what about the winter season? <laughs> Is somebody going to be in charge? We have to make sure the cats are taken care of and fed. So there is a adoption application. And if that doesn't scare them off, <laughs> then, then once I get their information, oh, I should mention, of course, I ask for references. And I also let them know that I'm going to take, it's going to be two or more cats. Now, I always believe in the buddy system. And I think that when you're putting or relocating a cat to a new facility or a new property, the buddy system just really helps in terms of keeping the cat happy and keeping the cat there. So that's our starting point, two cats. Now, if you have a really big brewery, that would be probably over 5,000 square feet. That's when I start saying, okay, now we're going to go for three cats, uh, 10,000 feet, four cats, that kind of thing. Because you you really, if you're going to get effective rat control, you want the cats exploring and patrolling the property. So it, a lot has to do with the size of the property. So uh, after we go through the references, number of cats, and I, I let them know about that up front, then I take their application and then I go to ACC through email, basically, Animal Care Centers, the city shelter. And at ACC, I work with a woman, Sarah Hollers. 
H-O-L-L-A-R-S, Hollers. And she is the community cat manager. Now, Sarah is a great combination. She's really fabulous, a combination of know-how and instinct. So uh, she and I discuss the potential employer, the, the, the application, and we're kind of doing a risk assessment of what's this property like, indoor, outdoor, gated, not gated, open doors. We're looking at all of that. What, what's the risk? And Sarah also knows, I don't know how she does this, but she has a handle on the feral cats at ACC. All the, I should say all the community cats at ACC. Now, as, as we kind of discussed before, they're different kind of ferals. They're ferals that really were feral cats outdoors, let's say in a vacant lot, and then the lot got developed. Well, now they would be great for a park or a garden. You know, they go back outdoors. But if it's a cat that's been indoors all of its life, like from a hoarder situation, then then that cat would not be an ideal candidate for going to an outdoor setting. Then we'd be looking for an indoor setting. There are also cats that at, at ACC that present as feral Uh, There could be cats that come in that were owner surrenders and the cats are so traumatized that they're hovering at the back of the cage and they're hissing and they're growling and they're lashing out. Uh, This applies to to cats that, you know, you find cats that are taped up in boxes and left in the park or left on somebody's doorstep. Well, often these cats are very traumatized and they seem to be very anti-people. Uh, Sarah knows their bio, you know, assuming that there is a bio, you know, if it's taped up in a box, that's about all the bio you're going to get about that cat. But already this cat's very traumatized, uh, presents as feral, hissy, growly, not going to get adopted. So anyway, in this process, Sarah and I discussed that we kind of do a risk assessment of the potential employer. She looks at her at the cats that are there and what what cats might be the the best candidates. And then she sends me pictures and bio, medical records and behavior records of the cats that she thinks would be the best fit for this particular cat employer's location. At this point, I guess I'd really like to point out that ACC does a fabulous job of, of vetting these cats medically and behaviorally. I mean, they're spayed, they're neutered, they're microchipped, they're vaccinated, they're tested for feline AIDS, feline leukemia, they're treated automatically for all parasites. When they leave the shelter, these are really healthy cats. So they do a a great job with that. And Sarah sends along all that information. And then I send this information along with the cat's pictures, cute pictures and their names to the to the brewer. And the brewer and I discuss who who might be the best candidates. And once we establish that, then we move to the adoption contract. This is where they guarantee this is an adoption for life. This is an adoption with several, you know, stipulations, et cetera, but then it's an adoption contract. Is your organization struggling to keep up with the needs of your community? 
Well, great news. Dubert.com can help solve that problem for you with their companion case management module. It allows you to create cases for all your clients' needs. Send emails and text messages right from the system. And with Dubert's powerful, innovative thinking, you can also set up and initiate workflows that will pretty much do the hard work for you. Exciting, right? Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. When it comes to large cats, you need flea and tick protection you can trust. Dover Pet has you covered with a special Active Spot 2 flea treatment for large cats. Online at TevraPet.com. Tevra Pet, where there's always free shipping on flea and tick protection. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. Do you require that they have the cats, um, the rehoming process, right? So there's either, I mean, in a, in a barn situation, there's usually a tack room. I did a relocation with some cats in, in a, you know, a riding facility. And what they actually did was they had one stall all chicken wired in because we relocated six cats. And it was this phenomenal relocation because it was six cats from different places. But we had bonded them before in our adoption facility. They were bonded. Some of them had come from hoarding, indoor only hoarding situations and that kind of thing. And so this crowd of six and they, they lived there for a bazillion years and they had a wonderful time and pictures of them sitting on the backs of horses. And, you know, one of the cats was like always like at the top of the riding ring up on the beams, like looking down as if it was like his domain and, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, incredible stories. These stories about these working cats, they're just incredibly romantic. They're beautiful. They're just, it, it just is incredible. So I'm assuming there's a acclimation process that you sort of get the folks to go through. And then also my question that I get a lot is, you know, how many of the cats stick around and how many of them don't stick around? Yeah, take off. Um, yeah, after, after these preliminaries, then we, we do exactly what, what you're saying. We do a relocation process. And uh, the way we do that, oh, first of all, I guess I should say there are written instructions, uh, and that'll be on the website, hardhatcats.org. But there's complete written instructions for the adopter so that if they're not in con constant contact with me, which I encourage them to do, that they can always refer to these instructions. So basically, we go through a relocation. And we use crates, you know, those big dog crates. Well, you can get two bonded cats in one crate. If they're two cats that we want to be buddies, but they aren't yet, we give them separate crates. If it's three or more cats, well, let's say three cats. I have uh, cable tied two crates together. So it looks like a big old kind of like a, a railroad corridor where they have the run of that. So uh, just like any relocation process using crates, you put the 
at least a couple of cat carriers in the back of the crate so that the cats have those kind of additional hidey holes, their their carriers, their cat beds, the food bowls, the litter box, etc. I discourage water bowls because they're going to kick them over. It's going to be a total mess. Please, please, please add water to wet food so they get enough water. <laughs> but forget the water bowls, unless you've got those little side things you can clamp onto the side of the crate. So basically with these written operating instructions, it takes the adopter, the brewer, through the, we bring the cats to the facility, we set up the crates, we put a big sheet over the crate so that so that the cats feel like they have their privacy. Uh, we instruct the adopter in cat etiquette, and that is not etiquette for the cat that the cats have good manners, it's people etiquette, so that when you come daily to take care of those cats in their crates, that number one, you body block the door, you keep the doors locked until you come to give them food and scoop their litter box, you body block the door, you do not stare at the cat, no grabby, grabby, reaching for the cat, sticking your hand out, kitty, kitty. Uh, you pretend like you don't even see the cats are there. So that the cats during, I usually recommend they they stay in the crates for three weeks. And during that period, of course, they're getting used to the new smells and the new sounds. Can you imagine the first time they're in a, like a manufacturing place, <laughs> listening to, to brewing uh, being beer being manufactured. So they've got to get used to the new smells and sounds. And then some nice person comes every day and, and feeds them. Uh, there's a sheet, as I mentioned, over the crate. And during this app acclimation period, I recommend that after the first week, you maybe take the sheet back a little bit like a foot so that if they, if they want to, they can start peeking out and get acclimated acclimated to the sights, not just the sounds and smells, but they still have their hattie hole. And maybe over the course of the three weeks, you can move that sheet a little bit, but you give them both. You give them their space to hide, but you also let them peek out. So that's about three weeks, the acclimation period. And then the next stage is the release. And um, it's not a one day open the doors kind of release, that's a gradual process that happens over a couple of weeks too. Because, you know, I just, you know, every location is different and I want the cats to go about it gradually so they feel comfortable and can make this new place their turf. So this is kind of a, a nighttime venture. Uh, one fine day when everybody's gone home, and this could be a, like I say, it could be a community garden, it could be an office or a brewery. When everybody's gone home, you give the cats very little or nothing to eat for dinner. And you put some bits of food in different places in your brewery, right? Uh, to get, first of all, they're hungry. They're going to smell the food. You want them exploring, you know, you're leaving, you leave, leave a little light on, then you shut the door and go away, open the crate door. 
And that gives them an opportunity on their own to start exploring. The next morning when you come in, this this is where it gets tricky and gradual. Uh, you really want them to go back into the crate because this is this is again, if it's a brewery, something like a, an active brewery, they don't know the turf well enough yet. And you want them to still feel like the crate's their safe haven. So one person comes early to open up, to go in there. And case one would be the cat's hear somebody come and they run back to their crate. Great. You put their breakfast in there and you shut the crate door. So during the day, again, with all the people activity during the day, they can, they can sleep, they can stay in the crate. You open the crate door again the next night. So you do that for several nights. Um, Sometimes the cats will not automatically run in and so you have your dinner bell sound, uh, which I had recommended earlier in the instructions that whenever you feed them, you make a sound so they associate it with food. So you make your sound. Um, they should be very hungry because you've, you've put out a little food so they explore, but not so much food that they're sated. You, you're, you're really playing with hunger a lot here. So you make your sound and put their breakfast in the crate and hope they'll run back in. The third case is when, you know, you come in and the, cat, the cats are hiding somewhere. And I've had a whole mix of these, you know, two cats run in the crate and one cat hides or in another brewery, both cats didn't show up. They were AWOL for breakfast. So Again, there's written instructions, namely saying, ignore the cats. Do not go on a search and rescue, looking around things. Just leave them alone. They're hiding someplace. They're watching you. Put food in the shelter at night. You know, leave the, leave the crate door open. I said shelter. I mean, crate. Leave the crate door open so that at night they can go back in, eat. Uh, but during the day, just ignore them. Don't go looking for them. Well, eventually, in every case, the cats show up eventually. So for the next week or so, we move to the stage where the crate door is always open. They're usually staying there during the day. That's their safe haven. But they know that they've got free access to the garden or the park or the brewery or whatever. So it's a gradual process. And there are risk involved. And, and one of the risks is that this cat's hiding and you've got these big open doors. You, during this release period, you really have to keep an eye on the cats. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. That's a real, that second stage is something that I really haven't done with my relocation in, in the past. It's funny the the feeding, like the wet food for me with the barns that I've worked with, it's get, you know, tapping the can or as you say, making the noise to get the cats into the barn and locked into the barn at night because of predators. Exactly. So that's the, the time I want them tucked in. Um, they can do their stuff in the barn, but they need to go into the tack room. And then when the barn closes down for the night, you know, then they have free reign in the barn. But in, in my mind, I want to get them in that barn at night, you know, to, to keep them safe. But you in the brewery want them out and about 
And then they're tucking them in sort of during the day. It's sort of a little bit of a, of a reverse engineered situation, depending on the situation that you're in, I guess. Absolutely. I, I used to I used to take my own cats on vacation to Vermont. I'd always rent some cabin in the woods. I did exactly that. I made sure they were hungry for the dinner bell because I wanted them in. I wanted them in at night. Uh, so I know exactly what you mean. And it's using that hunger. The hunger is the thing to get them exploring and then to get them back in the crate. The only reason I don't want them wandering around on day one is because this is all new grounds. There's people activity there. Uh, forklift trucks. There's a lot to get used to. Yeah. So, um, Sheila, I know we've mentioned about operating instructions and more information. So if folks are interested in finding out how they could start a program like this in their community, uh, how would they do that? How would they reach out to your website? Well, I think I think two things. I think they can reach out to my website, hardhatcatsoneword.org, and there are the full operating instructions on there. The operating instructions cover that acclimation period, the release, and then ongoing care, ongoing care, cat nutrition, cat health care, litter box hygiene, everything, so that that brewer or employer, a lot of a lot of these people have never had cats before. So they've kind of got, that's a manual, that's a manual. But the other side of it is finding employers. And I just want to encourage everybody to use their shoe leather and get out there and walk their neighborhood. Are there bike shops? Are there florists? Are there woodworking shops? Are there lumber yards, offices? Walk around, walk around, start start telling the employers about working cats. If you're in an urban area, and I, I guess I keep going back to that, a lot of these old buildings, e- even if you don't have bags of malt and barley, a lot of these old buildings are, are still invaded by rats and mice because they want to keep warm in the wintertime, Right. And of course, near human beings, they're always scraps of food. So so I think there's a lot of potential for finding employers of working cats, the employment opportunities for working cats. But the best way to do it is just shoe leather, walk around. Use your you're only limited by your imagination. And my recommendation would be first of all, get the word out. Walk the walk, you know, get, get some responses. And once you get employers interested, then find the right cat for the job, you know, then find the right cat. It, it's kind of hard if you have a cat that you want to place and then now you're walking around to all the shops in the neighborhood. It it, it, it takes time. It takes yeah. time. So yeah. I do it up front. Right. Well, you're running around and then usually when folks run around at the last minute or they rush, sometimes decisions are not made carefully enough, where if it's a planned process and a planned program, then things can run more smoothly. And honestly, I think cats pick up on that too. Like, you know, if, if you're like, oh, got to figure out how to get the cage and I got to figure out how to do this, and I, you know, and, yeah. and e- even if you think you're moving the same way, I think cats pick up on that for sure. So just getting the familiarity and like, it's okay, you're going to be fine. We're fine. It's going to be fine. This is yeah. a great home for you. 
I just, you know, not to be too woo woo, but I, I do think that there is an understanding of what's going on with the cats and the person sort of handling their destiny. Oh, definitely. They pick up on that. They're so sensitive. Yeah. Yep. They're so That's sensitive. Different. But I do think it's important that that people don't put the cart before the horse. You know, if you think about it, I, I kind of, I did the shoe leather. I tried to round up employers, people that when they came to me, they wanted a cat. Then I got their information, the the adoption application to find out about them. Then I knew what the risks were. And then I went to ACC to find the right cat for that job. So it's finding the right cat for the right location for the right job. That's great. So Mm -hmm. Sheila, for our last little conversation before we close out for today, you and I both have a, a passion for Switzerland. And just if you wouldn't mind sharing with us any of the experiences you've had in Switzerland with community cats. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, it's the total opposite. They only believe in outdoor cats. I read an article recently in a Swiss newspaper saying, should cats stay in an apartment? I mean, it was a whole big debate. They're horrified to think about cats in an apartment. Um, And of course, it's just the opposite when you live in a big city with all the main streets and the traffic. Uh, it's her, people are more scared about cats being outside. So, so they have what they call free cats are free roaming for the most part here. And they have so-called owners or caretakers that feed them. But where I live in a Swiss village, there's little to no traffic. It's just pastures and cows and very little risk for for cats and they tend to thrive in the outdoors i understand why the swiss tend to let them roam free but in terms of <laughs> in terms of my working cat program there happens to be a small brewer in this village and when i saw that my god i was all over this guy like white on rice you know i couldn't get there fast enough and and he looked at me like i was nuts when i started talking about rat deterrence switzerland is so clean honest people do sweep the the street it's unnervingly clean here so you know not having not having rats is a big selling point you know they're thinking i don't need cats what are you talking about so uh yeah, when I was there, I mean, it, it most restaurants have a cat or two. Uh, you know, when you're sitting outside, you're sitting yes. there and the cat's right next to you. They usually have like a little perch or, you know, so the restaurants pretty much all have cats working. And it, it's sort of a necessity, honestly, that the restaurants feel that they need. And, you know, they're healthy looking. They all look great, spayed and neutered. And so I do hear about farmers that you go up to the farm and the farm will have some kittens and that's where people will go get their kittens. But it seems to be very controlled. Well, and there, you know, you're you're but you're absolutely right. There are tons of barn cats uh, because they in a dairy community like this, there are cows, there's stalls, there's hay. And even though you don't have big city rats, you do have mice. And you certainly have mice in barns. So almost all the farmers have barn cats here. 
Yeah. Completely. And you know what? There, there's not a big emphasis on spay neuter either. You know, it's like, hey, the cats, they've got their lives, they breed, they they come, they go. So, yeah, that that that's that's a little bit of a problem, the cats. But I don't think that the cats that I'm seeing, at least, I feel pretty confident that they're spayed or neutered. And there was a generation and that I've been visiting the same town for almost 30 years. And there was a house in town that there's actually two houses that you could walk by and you would see kittens coming out of them periodically over the years, you know, and the houses were, were somewhat challenged. And um, they've now been since developed. There's been a lot of development over the last five years in Switzerland. So they've been developed. So those cats have all, you know, been removed and taken away and that kind of thing. But the current cats that I'm seeing from a working cat standpoint are not breeding cats. They're definitely working cats. Though now the barn's totally different. What I see up there is more of a, a, a you know, some not spayed or neutered barn cats. And I, I have seen veterinary clinics more frequently when I'm on the train. I see vet clinics. I think there may be more of them in Switzerland, certainly, than there used to be. But it's nice to see veterinarians around. So I think that that's good, good, too. But anyway, the more we can find out about what others are doing in other countries, I think the better off that we all are just to learn, to learn how I know Finland for dogs, they have like 80 percent of their dogs are not sterilized. There, but yet they don't have an overpopulation problem because there are cultural and behavioral ways that they deal with the dog so that the dogs aren't going to get pregnant and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I'm, I personally would never want to live with an unneutered male cat my yeah. child, or an unspayed female. I would never want to live with either one of those. Yeah. So from a behavior standpoint, it's just is it's ridiculous, but it's been it's been a pleasure chatting with you tonight. Your time it's this afternoon, my time. So, Sheila, I want to thank you so much for joining us actually from Switzerland. So this is great. And this is an incredible program. I think it's fantastic. I wish I could encourage you and I will put my two cents in right now is make this a, like a national program or spread it out even bigger. So we've got the manual so that everybody, the, the document, the operating instructions, everybody can do this. We can have this all across the country. This is not specific to New York. So my takeaway is let's make this happen all across the country. And we need a jobs board for, for cats and for people looking for working cats. And the Community Cats podcast can have a jobs board for, for this situation. Here, here, here. I love it. Yeah, that's, that's where we need to go. I agree. Absolutely. Sheila, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And we'll have you again on in the future. Okay. Listen, it was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Your cat will love you when you choose high-quality Tevra brand products. All that approved, including flea and tick protection from all the diseases that they carry. Online at TevraPets.com, where there's always free shipping on flea and tick protection.